This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9 is Cruise Control, BFM's car show with me, Ali Johan. And of course, I'm never alone on this program. I'm joined tonight by our automotive guru, Mr. Daniel Fernandez. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome, Ali. I'm not a guru. I'm still a student. But thank you for saying that I'm a guru. <laughs> you are. You are to me. Uh, as usual, Cruise Control show in three parts. Uh, we've got some automotive news, but also later on in the show, we're going to be discussing different license for pickup trucks later a used car review of the 2007 Porsche Boxster uh, but before that we've got some news automotive news uh, this week uh, we're going to start with EV news uh, and Sime Darby last week have come up with a plan to make electric vehicle driving a more pleasant experience in peninsular Malaysia the company envisions a seamless experience for new buyers and adopters to EVs by being at the forefront of the infrastructure rollout because they are building more EV charging ports, both trickle chargers and the DC fast chargers at every 200 kilometers to 300 kilometer intervals across highways in peninsular Malaysia. This is big, Daniel. It is big news and I say thank you to Sime Darby Motor Group. As you know, Sime Darby sells the most amount of EVs in Malaysia right now. Why I say that is because their brands, BMW has got EVs, Mini has got EVs, which is under the BMW group. Then you have uh, Hyundai selling EVs. And you've got Volvo because Sime Darby has a Volvo dealership. They are also selling EVs. So in totality, I think they are selling the most number of electric vehicles in Malaysia right now. Plus, they're going to bring in two more new electric brands, electric car brands. I'm not going to share more information, but I think we've talked about it in the weeks before. Mm. Now, having all these EVs and putting up this charging network, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a great move. I know the current EV owners will be very happy because there's more places for them to charge. But, and I say this with a big but, without wanting to upset anybody, <laughs> if you look at the locations, It's all on one side of Malaysia, my That's friend. That's right. We only have it on the west coast. We've got new EV charging stations in Penang, Klang Valley, yes. and Johor. Now, it's great that they're putting this up. It's great that they've got it staggered. You know, just nice for people to you know drive and charge. But I will tell you something. In the last one year, after the last lockdown, I've gone to Pahang on holiday. I've gone to Terengganu on holiday. And tonight, I'm in Kota Baru, right? Mm. What if I was driving an EV? You might need to you know, drive a very powerful EV that can last one charge. It's not going to happen because even the most powerful EV right now, which is the Mercedes-Benz with the longest driving distance, hmm. it still doesn't have enough power to take me to and fro from East Coast Malaysia. That's right. Now, and if you, and if you drive around the East Coast of Malaysia, I'm not saying that you need to put up a lot, but these three locations could be another three in the middle of you know, maybe from Kuantan to Trungano and then, you know, another one in, say, in the middle of Trungano, say, in Dungun, yeah. right? And then, of course, Kota Baru, you know, which is, a, which is a big town in the northern part of Malaysia. So why are they ignoring this part of Malaysia? Yeah. Uh, I've asked a question. I've been given an answer, coming soon, coming soon. But you see, even with the EV sellers, I'm talking about the big brands that sell EVs, their dealerships in these areas also do not have adequate charging facilities. 
So I'm thinking, are you saying that this part of Malaysia doesn't need electric cars? Interesting. I hope they add on the charging stations in the East Coast. I want to be optimistic and say that they've done their research and they found that the uptake for electric vehicles are mainly in the West Coast. Is that logical though? Okay, it's very logical because most of the dealerships are in the West Coast. But I'm saying this. Okay, say you lah. Okay, Ali, you just mentioned to me before we went on the show that there's a really good breakfast place in Kota Baru. Yeah. So say now you have an EV. You buy a nice, simple EV for your family. And you're driving around the West Coast all the time. But then one day you say, hey, I want to go and visit Kota Baru and I would like to go to that wonderful breakfast place that I mentioned to Daniel a few weeks ago. Can you do it? Probably not. Yes. And all the people who bought EVs on the West Coast, they may be living in the West Coast, Don't they visit the East Coast? Don't they go to Kota Baru, Trungano, Besut, Kuala Krai, Kuantan, Cerating, Teluk Chumpeda? You, know, you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And to think that we've, do, we do not have such a big country. It's all reachable. Yes, great holiday destinations also. Totally, totally. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I hope, you heard it here first, I hope that with our show, we will spur some interest to move some of these EV charging networks to the east coast of Malaysia right now, before Christmas. Yeah. Well then, uh, that's that's as far as EV news goes in Malaysia. Now we're going to move on to another EV news, but this time in a neighbouring country, Indonesia. Right. This mm. week, Toyota Motor Corporations in Indonesia announced uh, their plans to invest about 1.8 billion US dollars in the country over the next five years to produce new generation EVs as well. And uh, this shows Toyota is leading the way with EV plants in Indonesia. Yes. And, you know, when I put up the story on DSF, there was some negative impact that came in from readers saying, oh, Malaysia lost again, Malaysia lost again. Now, please understand this. The reason why they go into Indonesia is for a few reasons. Number one, very important reason. They got population. Mm. They got people. They got so much more people. Number two, the income levels are going up in Indonesia. Okay. There's a huge middle class there and, of course, an upper middle class. Number three and very important, they have the raw material for batteries. You know what I mean? Yes. So when they speak to the government, the government will say, listen, you want my raw material? Sorry, I'm not exporting it. You want, you build it here. Because wait, the government of Indonesia is super smart. They are saying, you want my raw material, you bring your factory here, you build the battery, you build the vehicle, and then you export. Lah. So that means... I'm going to get jobs, I'm going to get foreign exchange, I'm going to get exports, I'm going to get few ways for my country to prosper. You know what I mean? Correct. Infrastructure is going to have to be built as well. But again, don't think that Malaysian government is not doing enough to try and attract all these people. They're trying to, but our population is very small compared to them, you know? Yeah. And we don't have the raw material and the labor force to have big factories producing cars like this. So, it's reported that Indonesia have a rich supply of nickel laterite which uh, is used to produce the lithium batteries on EVs, right? And we right, right. don't have that much of nickel laterite, you know, where we are in, in, in the region. Yes. We are far from that. We are far from that. We, we can't compete on that, you know, because that's in the ground. We can't, we can't produce it, you know? Yeah. Also, you must understand, uh, Toyota may be a car manufacturer, but they're also involved with a lot of electric motorcycle manufacturing with some partners, you know? And Indonesia is a huge motorcycle market. So again, it makes a lot of sense for them to start producing that. Now, 
all the EVs that they make there, because of the, the agreement within the region, will flow down to Malaysia. So we could be seeing in two or three years' time, Toyota electric vehicles in Malaysia made in Indonesia at a very reasonable price. Nice. I'm looking forward to that. And you know, in the reports as well, the Indonesia has set a target of having 13 million electric motorcycles and 2.2 million electric cars on their roads by 2030. That's not long from now. Not long. These people are rocking it and they're rocking it very fast. Moving on now, speaking of fast, uh, we're going to take a quick dive into automotive sport. As this week, we heard the Malaysian Rally Championship just finished and we saw the return of Karamjit Singh, the flying Sikh who came out of retirement after four years off the racetracks. This is excellent news. I've known Karamjit for more than 20 years. I've known him when he was, you know, non-stop Malaysian champion year after year after year after year after year after year after year. I, I can I can have to go somewhere, but it's too long. Anyway, he is an icon in terms of rallying for the region and he's globally well-known. But Karamjit fell from his status to just a man on the street because there was no rallying sponsorship for years. Any kind of racing, any kind of motorsports, you need sponsorship. And rally is one of those motorsports where sponsorship is very small, very small. So previously, he was backed by the uh, factory. That means the car factory, which was Proton. And he gave Proton so much mileage, he delivered on every level. And then, of course, when Proton was taken over and the new owners came in, they said, hey, you know, motorsport's not interesting anymore. Rally, you know, no, 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 we don't do, want to do all that. Let's just sell cars and sell, you know, commuter vehicles. So, of course, Karamjit couldn't get another factory team to back him. And also, if you look at the list of participants, there's no factory team. It's all individuals who, with their own blood, sweat and tears and, you know, hopefully some money from savings and all, go into rally as enthusiasts. So, finally, Kara managed to get a partner, a sponsor, and he brought back his former navigator from long time ago, a guy called Jagdev Singh, who has won the championship many times, you know, with with Karam. Mm-hmm. They came back and they raced in a Proton Gen 2, my friend. And they won it. And they won Proton <laughs> Gen 2 with no factory backing. And if you look at the other participants, Subaru Impreza, four-wheel drive. Mitsubishi Lancer Evo, four-wheel drive. Okay? Yeah. And they won. You got to give it to these guys. Yeah, they did better than Subaru Impreza and uh, Mitsubishi Lancer. There's also Subaru GC8 uh, in the standings yes. as well. Safe to say the Kings are back, both Karam yes. and Jagdev. They've been the dynamic duo in Malaysian Rally for years. And I think this is where he belongs. Definitely belongs here. And you know, I'm I'm hoping, you heard it here first, I'm hoping that with this radio show, some corporation, some big titan out there will say, hey, let's take our marketing budget, give it to this man, to take Malaysia into the global rally circuit or at least the regional rally circuit to show that we still got a champion at 60 years old, my friend. A real OG. Yeah. That's all the news we have this week um, and uh, we're going to come back with more automotive topics coming up next. We are going to discuss different licensing for pickup trucks and do we need that or we don't. Um, right here on Cruise Control, BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9 It's Cruise Control Ali Johan and Daniel Fernandez On tonight And uh, thanks for sticking with us Now We've got a special discussion In this segment of the show About special license For pickup trucks Okay There's been a lot of talk About this for years You know uh, there, there have been some Very very Horrendous accidents With pickup trucks Over the years Hitting small cars Hitting motorcyclists there were even many years ago I did a report on this guy who was driving a pickup truck late at night and he hit a motorcyclist and he dragged him under his truck because it's one of these huge high lift trucks you know hmm. and he was dragging the guy for a few kilometers without knowing that he was dragging someone you know right. because they put these huge bull bars and you know they're, they're, they're lifted up so high they can't even see they're like they're like a like a small uh, 10 ton lorry you know hmm. now I'm not saying that these guys are bad or whatever else. But, you know, when someone came up with the article recently, the local newspaper saying that he thinks that there should be a special licensing for pickup truck drivers. Now, pickup trucks basically come with a lot of power delivery. The reason for this is because in in overseas markets, okay, take for example like Thailand, okay? Pickup trucks are used for towing, for carrying things out of the estate, like fruits and veggie and things like that. In Malaysia, it's also used like that, but you don't see people doing a lot of towing with pickup trucks. And then you see a lot of people becoming urban cowboys. When I say urban cowboys, these are people who don't go outstation, they don't go off-roading, they don't do anything really uh, aggressive with their pickup trucks. They just drive it around the city, but they like having a pickup truck, you know? They, They use it like a daily commuter. And then you've got a whole bunch of other people who use it very aggressively. Now, can you take these two segments of people and say, hey, I need you to have a special license. You're going to go into a big problem. Because why? For example, a husband and wife, they have a pickup truck. Are both of them going to get a special license? If they have an older, say, a 25-year-old daughter who's got a car license, normally she can drive the pickup truck. But now she has to get a special license also. Then you have business owners who use pickup trucks for, say, delivery or small errands and all that. It's almost like a lifestyle slash uh, workhorse, right? Yeah. Are they going to go out there and get special licensing? No. I mean, I'm now driving along the east coast of Malaysia for the last two days. And I can tell you, there are so many people, men and women, driving pickup trucks for all kinds of reasons. Especially in this part of Malaysia, there's a lot of them driving them around. Are they going to go and get a special license? No, I don't think so. Now, here is the problem. The reason for a lot of these accidents to my understanding, is because a lot of people get into a pickup truck not understanding the amount of torque, power delivery that comes with a pickup truck. Right. You look at these trucks, they have an empty back, right? Then you've got a forward cabin for two people or four people or five people. Now, at the back when it's empty, it's very light because the engine is in front and most of the people are in the center, but the back is empty. Now, they have 400 newton meters of torque. 350 newton meters of torque, some even up to 450 newton meters of torque. We are not talking about people tuning the truck. It's coming straight from the showroom. And every time a new truck comes out, like the new Isuzu D-Max, Ford Ranger, power goes up, 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 up. Because why? The selling point is power, power, power. But a lot of the people are buying it without needing the power. And so when they drive on the straight, it's fine. When they go around a corner a little bit too fast, the tail gets a bit happy because it's light. You lose control, right? Mm. Because there's so much power delivery. You know, they, they, they tap the accelerator. Even if you're in fourth gear, you don't have to go to sixth. Fourth gear, the torque will just 
push this mass of steel forward, you know? Right. And then suddenly, if you have to brake hard, you either veer to the left or right. If there's a motorcyclist or a smaller car there, you're just whacking them at the side. You, you, can you get the picture? Yeah, I can imagine that. Really, really nasty. Yes. So, motorcycle, of course, if you tap him at the side, he's straight into the ravine and he's gone. Yep. A car, he will go into the ravine. So, it's the same principle as when you see a three-ton lorry, unladen, right? Mm. With a rear wooden body or a rear metal body with nothing inside. You don't see them speeding because why? Had laju, lapamplo, simlamplo, right? Yeah. They are commercial vehicles. So, maybe if you want to solve this problem, you don't need a special license. Just put a hard lajula. Right. You know, a first step to prevent anything unwanted on happening. Of course, a lot of people are going to be unhappy for me saying this. But would you rather go and get a special license which you have to renew and, and get your whole family members to get it or your workers to get it? Or would you just prefer hard laju, 80, 90, please don't go further than that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But would a hard laju would would slapping a hard laju on a family car, a pickup truck that's used in a family, would it be fair? It would not be fair. That's what I'm saying. A lot of people will be upset with me. But you see, the thing is now you've got to balance this out. If if this gets, if you get more accidents happening, especially in this part of Malaysia where I am right now, mm. you hear of a lot of regular accidents on the old coastal roads, right? Yep. yep. Because they're windy, they're not well looked after. You know, they they are not highways, right? And a lot of them maso longkang, maso ladang, a lot of fatalities also. And then also they cause accidents with other vehicles. Like I said, you know, when they when they go around a corner too fast and yeah. everything else. But you've got, like some of these vehicles have got 450 newton meters. If your back is empty and you're cruising down this old road at say even 80 kilometers or 70 kilometers, which is not that fast on an isolated road, all you need is one vehicle to come in your way or, you know, like an animal to cross. And you break hard and you are just going to flip or you're going to go round and round and round, right? So, a hard laju, I think, is something easier to control rather than asking everyone to go and get their special license. If you really want to narrow this down, you say, okay, you can continue driving. Hard laju 1890, please buy the sticker, 10 ringgit, stick it on your, on your truck and please don't speed. If you're towing, you got all the talk you need to tow. If you're on a highway, please stick to 90. A small road, please go slower, you know? Meanwhile, mm. on top of pickup trucks, we also have MPVs. When we look at size and power, size and torque, for example, we have yeah. MPVs that are also in that same category. What do you think? I'm so glad you brought this up because we were also looking at this because just after all this, this, this drama happened with the pickup truck and the specialized and all that, we started getting some, some notifications from people about MPVs, especially large MPVs. I don't want to mention the names of the brands and all that. Uh, especially the large ones that look like a bread box. You know? Yes. And they come with powerful V6 engines. 3.5 litre, 3.2 litre. Some of them even have engines bigger than that. Very few of them, but they do have engines bigger than that. Now, these vehicles, we have seen some of the accidents on the highways. Massive. Ridiculous. There have been fatalities. Now, they got big tyres, nice uh, wheels and everything else, brake system and everything else. But you're talking about a huge vehicle that defies airflow and then you've got this huge engine. So what happens? When you're on a highway, you whack lah, you know? Yeah. 180 is not a problem. You go 220, 250, you know? Oof, scary. And everybody is sitting in there. It's nicely insulated. you got the TV screen at the back. Everybody is nicely sitting on their captain chair engine watching a movie. You are driving. Suddenly, you feel a bit sleepy or, you know, you're distracted. 
and you just have to tap someone with that mass. It's physics, lah. You know. Yep. You tap someone, and boom, you have caused something really drastic right now. Now it was funny because when we were talking about this truck thing, I saw early one morning, just a few days ago, a huge MPV, brand new one, slamming into a stop sign, resting in between two trees. No airbags came out. The passenger managed to come out quite safely. Imagine now, instead of hitting that stop sign and flattening it, the pictures on DSM you can see it. Mm. What if that was a motorcyclist or a or a cyclist or a pedestrian or even a small car? That mess coming down because there was no braking line. Eh? It, they just came from the tarmac to the gravel to the tree. There is no tire marks at all. It's Ooh. just wham. Yeah, you know? yeah. So. This is something that you have to also consider. Now, the government or the road transport department cannot go out there and say, "Okay, ban everybody. No more luxury MPV." Cannot. They cannot say, "Oh, no more large engine ones." Cannot, mm. because some people just like big engines, you know. So, what do you need? You need to control speed. So, the bigger vehicles, if you're going to have this kind of power, you're going to detune them. That's one way you can say, "Okay, I sell you this vehicle, but it's detuned." That means you can't go that fast. Speed limit is speed limit, right? But how do you control people? How do you tell people? Even if they detune, they can go outside, break the detune. So, where is the control? You can't have speed traps all over the place. But as a good point to mention, car brands like Volvo in 2020 said every vehicle, no matter how powerful, speed limit 180 kilometers. You can't go faster than that. Renault followed soon after that with 180. Now the way they are going, I think because they are seeing also these accidents in Europe and in North America. You know? Yeah. Because they build big vehicles, also. I mean, some of the vehicles don't come here. Some do, but you know, they build very big vehicles. They are seeing a trend. Now, I think pretty soon every manufacturer is going to do this 180 cap. That means you cannot go faster than 180, even though you're a supercar or you know you've got 600 newton meters of torque. The next thing is they might have to reduce it to 150 or 140. Because even at 180, can you imagine being slammed by a large MPV? At a hundred and twenty, also you can flatten anything. <laughs> yes, yes. So again, it's down to the individual. It's down to common sense. It's controller, you know, self-control. But how many times can you control everybody in in, in one city? That's interesting. Food for thought, huh? Yep. Something for us to think about, and something for us to look into as we go into a future where cars are bigger and are more powerful as they come. Yes. When we come back, we're going to be going on our used car review. This week is the Porsche Boxster from 2007, right here on Cruise Control BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. This is Cruise Control with Ali and Daniel. Thanks for sticking with us. And now the final part of the show, we are going to have a used car review of Porsche Boxster, but from a very long time ago, Daniel. Yes, this is the 2007 to 2010 Porsche Boxster. Now we all know the Boxster when it first came out. The earlier model Boxster, uh, the model before the one I'm talking about, was a 2.5 liter. It was the smallest Porsche engine in modern times. It was water cooled. It wasn't air cooled. It was a sibling to the 911, which was called the Porsche 
So when it came out, the competition all having big CC engine, big power, everything, it's on 2.5. Not to say it's not powerful, it's 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 okay lah, you know? Right. And people were saying like, oh, not, you know, it's not for men, you don't want to drive it, blah, 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 everything else. Now, I remember when this car first came out in Malaysia, uh, I was not given the opportunity to test drive it, a new one. But what happened is, uh, my friend bought a new one and after a few months after getting it, he said, come, come, let's go for a drive. And, you know, a lot of people were making fun of him. I didn't make fun of him because I actually liked the way it looked and I thought, you know, it's a pretty decent starter supercar, you know, a sports car, supercar, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a Porsche, it's, it's, it was much cheaper than a 911 and, you know, at that time, the 911 was, was really expensive. And when I drove it, I thought, okay, there's decent power. It sounded great, mid-engine. You know, it handled very well. Mm. It looked like the 996, but with a soft top, you know. And the 996 was quite a quite a handsome car at the time. But people were making fun of it. And, you know, my friend didn't bother. He just continued driving it. He had it for a few years. And then, of course, after some time, they came out with a with a bigger engine version, which was a 3.2. And he traded in his, his uh, early Boxster for the 3.2. And then when he gave me to test drive that car, I was so impressed with it. Because even though it was still called a hairdresser's car, because it was a cheap cheap Porsche, I mean a cheap Porsche for the time, it was much more exciting. The 3.2 engine was responsive, it had a lot more grunt, it had a lot more noise and you know, at, at that time we were all in an age where we want to hear noise, you know, we want to hear, you know, when the top is down, we want to we want to feel the acceleration with the wind, you know, just pushing you back in your seat, you know. Yeah. And this car delivered everything, everything. But it was a very expensive car. So as time went on, the competition and who's the competition? The BMW Z3, the Mercedes-Benz SLK. These cars came out with even more power, more excitement. I mean, these are all drop-tops, huh? convertibles. Huh? Yep. So people started shying away from the Porsche Boxster. Again, a few years passed on. My friend sold his car and he got himself a hard top because he said, no, I've had enough. But what I realized recently that the used prices for this newer generation Boxster has dropped. And it's dropped to a point where Anybody working in BFM can afford it. Really? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Let's check it because, out. <laughs> okay. First of all, the 2.5, the first model, the earliest Boxster today is hovering around 55 to 60,000 ringgit. Okay. Now, yes, it's a cash buy. It's an old car. But, you know, Porsches are Porsches. They're built well. They, they last. The interior doesn't crack and break as easily as some other cars. Yes, you do have that problem, but not as easily. But finding one is virtually impossible because when I tried to find for one over two weeks, everybody I knew who had one said, oh, I've sold it, I've upgraded, blah, blah, blah. Then I said, who you sold it to? So I managed to get a couple of phone numbers. When I called them, I've sold it. And then you find out who they sold it to and then they say, we never advertise it to sell. What we do is, friends come over or we meet friends or we go for a club or a drive and all that. People say, hey, nice car, you want to sell it? That's how they sell it. Because it's so rare, it's so specialized, it's become a car that no one is really advertising it. No one is putting it out on the marketplace to be sold. So that's hard to find. So the next generation was the 3.2. Now the 3.2, plenty in the market. Plenty in the market. Because why? A lot of grey second-hand car importers brought in this car and they flooded the market 10 years ago. So a lot of these cars now are appearing in the used car market. And here's the best part. They are not that much more expensive. Prices hover between 90,000 and 110,000. Now, 
you might say, oh, uh, you know, I cannot afford it. Yeah, 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 of course, because it's a cash buy. But think about it. For someone who has that EPF money or someone who has a little bit of savings put aside or someone who's always wanted a Porsche but can't afford a 911, will say, hey, 100,000 ringgit, I get myself a Porsche, it's a convertible, it's well-built, it's got decent power, it looks good, and that whole stigma of being a hairdresser's car or what has been removed completely, you know? Mm-hmm. And, come on, lah, you know, how much more can you lose if you buy this car and use it for five years, right? Yeah. So, looking around, there's a few on sale. You can easily find it on, on uh, online classifieds. Like I said, prices are around 90 to, to 100,000 ringgit. So, the next problem is people are going to say, hey, you know, this car so old, maintenance how lah, you know? Yeah. Okay, so Porsches, first of all, you must understand, this is a precision German-engineered car. Like anything else in its segment, it's not going to be cheap like an average Japanese or Malaysian-made car. But let me tell you this. Maintaining a Porsche, say a 10, 15-year-old Porsche, it's lower than maintaining its rivals from Germany. I'm not going to mention the brand. It's rivals from Germany of the same age. That's the unusual part. Not much problems. And then people worry about the convertible top. Yeah. Now, when you go and test drive a car like this, as long as the convertible works without any creaks, groans, or any kind of funny sounds, that's fine. Because the motor, the hydraulics, the assembly, that's the most expensive thing to change. Now, the next thing is the top. If the top is fine, no cracks, no leaks, no tears, you can go on for another 5-10 years easily. So, you have the rubbers at the corner. Now, the rubbers at the, at the corners are the ones that when you, when you close, it meets the top of the windscreen and it meets the side of your side view mirrors, right? Right. Now, if those are worn, you'll have water leaks in heavy rain or when you're driving in, in heavy rain. To change them, not very expensive. You can buy the parts online, you can be shipped here or you can go to a local parts dealer who specializes in Porsche parts there are, there are a few of them in, in, in the city. You can talk to them. They can import the part in from you. It's, it's an easy fix. On top of that, today, because there's so many convertibles in the market, I myself own a very old Mazda convertible. Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of shops that call themselves specialists and they can retrofit locally made parts, locally made rubber on these tops and make them work. And it costs less money. On top of that, they can fix motors, they can service motors, they can service hydraulics. So even like with the, with the BMW Z3 or the SLK, these parts can be fixed and easily maintained in Malaysia. One thing I realised, the, the Boxsters are all mainly automatic transmission though. They don't have manual cars? You know, very, very few came in. I have seen a couple of manual versions in both the early model and in the 3.2, but both are still with owners who refuse to sell. Because why? It's so cheap, so easy to maintain, you know? Mm. But if you do find a manual and you can afford it, take it home. These cars will appreciate in value soon. They're rare, very rare. Even the replacement parts for the clutch and everything, assembly and all that, not difficult to get. So, again, people come back to me and say, after I did this article, and say, oh, but how can you say it's, it's not expensive? I'm telling you, it's not that expensive when compared to its rivals from Germany. And you'll be surprised about this because a lot of people think, oh, you know, 
Porsche parts are expensive, Porsche parts are expensive. Yes. The newer models, yes. These older models, you know, they made thousands of these cars. They're all over the world. There are Porsche dealers in so many countries who will sell you the parts. So it's not a problem. And it is not a complicated car to fix. There are not complicated electronics in it. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need to go to a super specialist just to fix it. Cool. All right. So there we have it. Um, Daniel's review of a used Porsche Boxster from 2007 that you can find on online classifieds that are going for between 90 to 100,000 ringgit. And I think that's all the time that we have on the program this week. If you miss any part of the show, you can listen back to our podcast available on the BFM app. You can get it on Google Play or the App Store. So until next week, same time, same place, join us again on Cruise Control. I'm Ali Johan and Daniel Fernandez. This has been Cruise Control, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.